Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I am your host, Josh Scar. Joining me this week from Earth 23 is Matt. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing okay. It's been a hell of a couple of months, to be perfectly honest. It's not been like the best mental health-wise, but been powering through it. Celebrity-wise, it's been a little bit of a, a bitch in the... I don't even know what kind of bitch in the whatever it's going to be. I, I have no euphemism for that. Uh, but it, it's it's kind of sucked because we lost Bob Barker. The wrestling world lost Terry Funk and Bray Wyatt. Uh, but before we get into, um, for me, the bigger death uh, this last week, uh, we do have one other person joining us this week. Uh, joining us from Earth 69, it's John. John, welcome back. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, and can I be honest? When my brother sent me the news about about Bob Barker, I could have swore he died like five years ago. <laughs> I was like, wait, he's, he was still alive. And he's like, uh, yeah, this is like incredibly sad. I'm like, I grieved already. I had, my, I had my time, you know, I was, just, I was yeah. just prepared. I was ahead of the ball. I think when I saw the news, I just looked up at Ricky and I was like, well, it finally happened. And she's like, what? And like Bob Barker passed away. And she's like, Oh, yeah. Okay. And like we just he's no longer on the prices right, so America just kind of moved on. Like, yeah, he's basically already dead. Also, yeah, if my if my significant other looked at me and went, it finally happened. <laughs> I gotta say that's not the first thing that I would go I would go for. <laughs> Why do you hate Bob Barker so much? What did he ever do to you? <laughs> Nothing. It's just he he see I ninety nine is he did not seem like he was ninety nine. He he was on TV forever, and it just seemed like he was, he should have been more like 120, just like Ricky. a pile of dust that just somehow still had a pulse. Yeah, Ricky, he had some mileage on him. Finally happened. <laughs> we can celebrate together. <laughs> I, I wasn't like break out the champagne. It, Ricky. It's not like if a certain former president ends up in jail, it's not like that kind of it finally <laughs> happened. It was more like oh, this thing that we've been anticipating finally happened. Like. The, the whole like uh, Betty White is still alive check in sort of thing. It, just like, oh, it's it's finally been a thing that everyone has been anticipating that has happened now. I like to think she faked her death and is living on an island somewhere making the natives laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't that her character's destiny in uh, Community? She was an anthropologist who just went off to live with an aboriginal tribe. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. God, she was funny. So the, the the one death that I did want to talk about real quick, just because it, it is impactful for, I, I believe, most of us, if not all of us uh, on the podcast here, uh, Arlene Sorkin passed away at the the very young age of 67. Uh, I, from what I've seen at the time of recording, I, there is no cause of death that's been announced. Um, but if you don't know who Arlene Sorkin is, she is the original voice of Harley Quinn, among other many acting credits to her name. But Harley Quinn is probably her most impactful role and longest lasting role. It was supposed to be a one-off character that Paul Dini and Bruce Tim just like wanted the Joker to have a female sidekick for an episode. And they based the character off of Arlene Sorkin's character. in uh, I believe it's days of our lives. She's dressed up as a Harlequin in a, a dream sequence. And they're like, Hey, let's see if we can't get her to come in and do the voice too. And she did. And Harley Quinn's been a character in the comics since uh, I believe 1998, she made her debut in Batman Adventures, and uh, she's just been a lasting Batman figure forever. And she's had huge impacts to the point of like Ricky and I, when we first got our first set of cats, we named our cats Harley and Quinn. So like we have had our impact there, but she just she had a huge impact on the comic book world and a big section of that with Batman. Um, yeah, I mean, so that it that character exists, you know, because of her, that character is in movies, that character has a, a, an ongoing TV show just solely, you know, like you said, exists for more than a bit part based entirely on that performance. Yeah. Like she was supposed to be a one-off character, as I said, and because she just crushed it and people responded to the character so well, she just became a mainstay and an anticipated part of the episode. And like, some of the best parts of the Batman, the animated series, like the clip you heard at the beginning. And I believe the clip you'll hear at the end are both from really good episodes where Harley kind of starts to discover she can go out on her own. 
my favorite episode was the one with her and Poison Ivy forming a female gang and just running through Gotham. I I I had no idea she just started and it was she just became a thing in 1998. I thought it was she'd been around much longer than that, but I suppose that's not really that surprising. Yeah, she was a yeah. brand new character for Batman the Animated Series. They just wanted to give the Joker, uh, as I said, a female sidekick, and she just her popularity boomed and she made her comics debut. I, I believe it was like 1998. And if I'm testing my Batman knowledge, it's Batman Adventures number 12, maybe number 14. Those comics are sort of like based on the Batman the Animated Series. They're like they're like tie-in comics. Um, I think it was more like um, like I think it was like 99 or 2000 that she shows up in like the quote unquote real DC universe, which is notable in and of itself because like, you know, lots of characters have translated from a cartoon or the, like a radio show or a movie to comics, but like almost none of them have been like as big of a deal as Harley Quinn for all the reasons you mentioned, but like that's a character that, you know, has an ongoing comic book like to this day, um, which most of those other characters cannot say. So, yeah. And that's one of the first comics that uh, Ricky and I started collecting together as she, she kind of got the collector bug is she uh, found out that there was a Harley Quinn comic series from, as you said, 2000. And I believe it ran for like 36 issues. And for like four or five years, she and I went to cons just hunting down issues that were in really good condition. And so we have that full collection as well, as well as the, more recent run that started in, I believe with the new 52 with Jimmy Palamati and Amanda Connor at the helm of that creative team. But as you say, and John, to your point that Harley Quinn and poison Ivy episode again, leads into this HBO series. That's also inspired from Jimmy Palamati and Amanda Connor, but it all goes back to Arlene Sorkin and for to a lesser extent, the writers of days of our lives for creating this <laughs> weird dream sequence. But uh, Arlene Sorkin is the one who who brought the character to life and just endeared this weird lovesick puppy into our lives. So 67, way too young. We also lost Kevin Conroy less than a, a full year ago so far. Really sad note to start the episode on, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk some comics, more specifically 2014's Spider-Verse event comic. But first, we're going to hear from our pal Caesar at the No on 15 all cast, and we will be right back. So, what's our show about? It's about some dudes talking about movies, just like this. With Goofy screaming with them. So, so, like, so you're talking that they should have replaced it like with a Tom and Jerry scream or something like that? <laughs> or you might hear something like this. Oh just, my gosh. That whole movie waiting to see what happens with Blanca is like the most aggravating thing in that film. <laughs> but for the most part, we talk movies from the 80s, 90s, and today. And if you grace us with your ear time, you might hear one of these 30 second gems like this. I was gonna say I did not get a chance to watch this one this week. <laughs> give it to him anyways. Let it give it to you for anyway. You ready? I'm gonna give, no, you, the, no, I'm gonna no, give no. you the 30 second review of uh, Tron Uprising. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Start the clock. And then... So give us a shot and listen to the No on 15 Allcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. No on 15. I find that promo funny with the bit that they're talking about the Street Fighter movie where they're like. <laughs> The most frustrating part about the Street Fighter movie is waiting to see what happens with Blanca and not just the fact that you're watching a really bad movie. Oh, <laughs> such a good bad movie, though. Uh, I mean, Raul Julia, God bless his soul. Good for him. He tried. He tried. <laughs> he got that bag. I, I don't know. I, 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 uh, I it's one of those those terrible movies that i just has a lot of i have a lot of love for oh yeah there, there's a place in cinema for fun bad movies and street fighter i think is definitely one of them but to be like come on blanca let's go let's get to this blanca thing <laughs> just like <laughs> everything else is fine but man i need more blanca in my life like once you see blanca ugh, ugh, man I mean, we all love blanca <laughs> it's true all right, so we are here to talk some comics again, more specifically a uh, 
an event series that ran inside the Amazing Spider-Man comic alongside a, a handful of other tie-in comics. Is it as bad as what happened with Flashpoint? We'll find out. But first, Matt, why don't you give us a little bit of history about this event comic? Yeah, this, uh, as you mentioned, this is a, a storyline that goes primarily through uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 9 through 15 of the third volume. Which ran between uh, November 2014 and February 2015, written by Dan Slott, who was the uh, writer on that book at the time, Amazing Spider-Man, illustrated by Olivier Caviel, and I apologize in advance, uh, Giuseppe Comencoli. I don't know if I um, pronounced that right. Um, and it was sort of near the end of Dan Slott's time uh, with Amazing Spider-Man, which would come in. 2018 but he'd been in the book as like the so the main writer since like 2010 so he's like right like in the in the the middle the nearing the end of his like very long tenure on the book um the the crux of the story is basically you know in a nutshell peter parker spider-man and various um spider people of the marvel universe aka also known as 616 they have to team up with spider folks from across the multiverse to stop the baddie spider vampire guy Morlin and his family were known as the inheritors and they want to wipe out every Spider-Man from existence. They want to kill everybody. So that's no good. It's notable insofar as like, you know, the multiverse is, I think it's been around in comics for forever. Marvel's no different that, but this is like the first time that like, there's a big multiversal story that features Spider-Man and is also bringing in like, basically every existing version of Spider-Man there ever was, right? Like we've got characters who had been in previous comics like Spider-Man Noir. We've got Mayday Parker from the Spider-Girl series that had been canceled a few years previous. Spider-Man India, even stuff like the uh, the Sentai Spider-Man from the old Japanese TV show. We get some stuff with the 1960s cartoon Spider-Man. A major character in some of the tie-in stuff is the spider-man from the like then current disney xd show uh stuff like that yeah the is josh bell's ultimate spider-man yeah yes yeah yeah um and then you know notably introduces some characters like spider-punk and probably most famously spider-gwen um, and features the return of the superior spider-man who had been a major force in comics for a couple of years just previous to this most recent volume it mainly it's mainly in the Amazing Spider-Man book. That's where the main miniseries is happening. But there's a couple tie-in miniseries, mostly like tie-ins that are about various Spider People teaming up. There's a couple that are just like little one-shot stories with each Spider Person, and then other like ongoing series, like uh, Spider-Man Twenty Nine Nine is running tie-ins this time. And then there's a Spider Woman book that launches out of this. That the first three or four issues are tie-ins. Yeah, and it's interesting that. Supposedly the germ of this idea comes from a video game called Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, which is about you playing as um, four different versions of Spider-Man from across the multiverse, which is also the story of which was written by Dan Slott. So uh, that's interesting. There's a couple of comics sequels. In 2018, we get Spider-Geddon. And then just this past year, we got End of Spider-Verse, both of which are basically we're doing the same thing again to mix results, in my opinion. You know the the big deal. The reason you the reason you know Spider Verse is because in 2018 there was Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, which is a movie that kind of loosely adapts this story and is the best Spider Man movie ever made. I uh, got a sequel this year with I'm sorry, Spider Man Into the Spider Verse was the first movie, and then the sequel was Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. Across the Spider Verse, yeah. So with an expected Spider Man Beyond the Spider Verse hitting in. 2032 yeah yeah whenever it actually comes out so that's like the basic rundown of just some little things here and there well don't forget there's also a a, an episode of the was it 1996 spider-man or 1997 spider-man that also covered a lot of this where there's multiple spider-men yes yeah yeah like i said this is not like a this is not a new thing it's just but i think it's very novel for them coming in and being like, you know what? Literally every version of Spider-Man is here and it's the versions from the thing. You know, it's not just like, oh, this is a guy who's kind of a cartoon Spider-Man. It's, oh, this is like the 1960s Spider-Man. There's one little bit in one of the the tie-ins where someone is like, 
basically referencing Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. So Which like, is hilarious. Yeah. So like for all intents and purposes, like every single Spider-Man you've ever seen is in this book, even if they're just off panel, you know? And then mm-hmm. they would double down on this a little more where I'm pretty sure it's the Spider-Geddon crossover, which neither of these, neither of those are as good as this. Yeah. But I think the Spider-Geddon crossover specifically is like, oh, here's the Spider-Man from the video game that just came out and is very popular on PS4 um, and all that stuff. So, you know, that's that I think is, is one of the reasons that this kind of became a big deal in comics and then again became a huge phenomenon of the movie. Yeah, before we we dive deeper into the actual Spider-Verse story, I do want to share that I had read the initial Edge of the Spider-Verse issue, which is Spider-Man Noir, which I was like, okay, this is interesting, cool, whatever. And then I think where the hype for this event really kicked off was with Edge of the Spider-Verse number two, which is the introduction of Gwen Stacy as Spider-Woman slash Spider-Gwen. I remember I read that one digitally, And then I immediately went to my local comic shop and bought a copy or an issue because like I, it just resonated. It it was just exactly what you would want from something like this. And the art style was great. The costume design is fantastic. And the, the color palette, just all of it looked so great. And I think that added an extra level of hype towards this event. And obviously like spider Gwen has become a mainstay in comics since then as well. Like she hasn't even been around 10 years. Uh, she's appeared in two feature length animated features. Uh, she has a premiere spot in the Disney Junior show, Spidey and his amazing friends. She's also shown up in the uh, most recent iteration of Disney XD's Spider-Man there, which that show I I can go off on a whole tangent of like Dan Slott is an executive producer on that show. And they've basically just adapted his entire run. There's Spider Island. There's <laughs> Superior Spider-Man. There, there's just, it's basically just Dan Slott writing a love letter to himself. So, uh, <laughs> but as, as well, he should. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that that issue, you know, if, if you were reading comics at the time, you know, I don't want to get too grandiose, but that issue hits like a bomb, you know, where it's just like it's what you want out of an alternate reality story. Yeah, this really novel take that you know, is a really cool one and done story that is such a big deal that they, they give her, it's kind of like the heart. It's, you know, some ways like the Harley Quinn thing where like this character becomes a mainstay off the strength of that first issue where she gets her own book based on that. She continues to off and on get books and star and up and appear in other books and things like that. And you know, who's to say, because like a lot of the characters in that movie in some way are featured in this story. But if that if that issue isn't as big as it is, if she doesn't become as big of a character, maybe she's not even in that movie. You know, it's a, it's a big thing when that issue drops. Yeah. And uh, like, that's not to say any of the other Edge of the Spider-Verse issues didn't hit as well. I think Gwen, Spider-Gwen just kind of took a lot of that air from that room. Yeah. I, I really would agree with that. I really enjoyed the idea that Peter Parker is, is not Spider-Man and he actually becomes the villain in that universe. While uh, his girlfriend, the one that famously, honestly, let's be honest, she's famously known for dying at the hands of the Green Goblin. Yeah. Actually becomes the hero and stands up and is the one that kicks ass in that world. Yeah, and it's great. And it's one of the, it's kind of, it's a really f- fun thing in terms of like especially once they actually give her her own series and they start kind of the way they kind of remix the things you know about the marvel universe in yeah interesting ways it's actually interesting because it's it's sort of one of the things that made the ultimate universe fun in the beginning too we're like oh here's like we're taking these concepts and putting a fresh spin on them in a way you're not expecting so that's a really that's all baked into the concept it's really fun I really liked the uh, the ultimate universe in the beginning. Yeah, everybody did. There were people out there who were like, oh, this should replace the regular universe. And those people were wrong. But, <laughs> you know, yeah. I understand why they were like that at first. I was just going to say, DC will tell you, will show you that that is an incorrect assumption. Yeah, DC, <laughs> DC looked at that and they went, oh, we're going to do this for real. <laughs> <laughs> but that's all that's interesting because one of the one of the fascinating things about this book, reading it is. This wraps up in February 2015, Secret Wars 
2015 launches in May of that year, in which, among other things, that story kind of gets rid of the Ultimate Universe and brings Miles Morales into the 616 proper, right? So this story is like the last, one of the last things this character does, notable things this character does when he is like not part of the main Spider-Man universe, the main Marvel universe, right? Like they have to like work to get him where with the rest of the characters because he's still off in the ultimate universe at this point, which is like just a little, a little detail. But I was like, Oh, that is interesting. I totally forgotten that this is like right before all that happens. Yeah. Cause there's a spot at the end of, uh, I think it's at the last issue where um, I think it's Spider-Man UK is getting ready to be sent back to his universe and there's nothing there. And uh, he's like, oh, it's an incursion. And I shared this when I was on the uh, the I Have Some Notes podcast where uh, when they mentioned incursions, I think in Doctor Strange, I like I, I got a little uh, fanboy giddy. I was like, oh, I know that word. That that means something. <laughs> yeah, they do that a little bit. They do that earlier, too. And I think it's um, I don't remember issues seven and eight. We we sort of toyed with reading those for this, but then they were not really part of the story. But there's a couple of backups that are like setting it up. I can't remember if it's that one of those or in like the first issue proper where they also kind of reference the incursions that are that are happening in the Avengers books at that time that are leading up to Secret Wars because he is, you know, Spider UK is a Captain Britain and in the Marvel Universe, the Captain Captain Britain Corps are like the multiversal guardians before he goes off and starts gathering people. He's like in his headquarters and they're like, universes are going away because all the incursions and stuff. So there are a couple of nods towards like the somewhat similar things that are happening over in the Avengers books. Yeah. So, so let's get back into spider verse here. We, we went off on a little bit of a tangent with the teases going into secret wars, which will be covered in this little series that we're doing here. I hadn't read this since the event happened. So like that initial fake out that it, they, they do in the, the beginning, uh, especially because they don't do a, like Peter Parker's pad earth six twenty two. I'm like, Oh, okay. This doesn't matter. Um, so you just see Peter get rung up by JJ. Hey, you gotta go get pick, get me pictures of Spider-Man. And then he's swinging away and all of a sudden Spider-Man loses a battle with some weird vampire dude. And we find out that he's actually on a, a Mars or not a Mars, a moon lunar civilization. And it's like, Oh, fake out. Cool. Um, which I, I thought it was really well done. Cause I, the, the earth, I think, yeah, it's on the last panel of that opening prologue. Uh, where it's like, oh, this is the Earth of uh, Spider Moon Man <laughs> on yeah. Earth 449. Uh, I kind of wanted to uh, touch on something you said at the beginning uh, when you're describing it uh, there, Josh. You said that the 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 vampire, the, basically their vampires are trying to kill all the Spider Man. They're actually just they're trying to feed on them. They're not just going yeah. around murdering them with impunity. They're just they're looking for food. Yeah, uh, the the spider totems, quote unquote, as as they refer to them, uh, give them like extraordinary powers and life. So they they kind of like parse the universes. They don't just hunt indiscriminately and consistently. Um, they just yeah, kind of go around hunting as they need to. Um, but there is also this like one of the cruxes of this story arc is that there's a, a prophecy hanging over the head of them that if uh, a certain set of events don't happen, eventually the spider people will eliminate the inheritors yeah and one of the things that's so funny about that book is like i think i think it's the weakest part because it's like not really why you're here but like they have to have something to cause like a fight. fight yeah yeah they have to be they have bad guys to fight but all of this is just dan slot riffing on a, like a, a one-off more or less a one-off villain from the straczynski run in like 2001 where like the first arc of that book when J. Michael Straczynski comes on with John Romina Jr. is Spider-Man facing like one of the strongest dudes he's ever fought. And it's this guy, Morlin, who is just like a weird energy vampire. And it's sort of tied into this whole thing that Straczynski did for a while. where He's like toying with the idea that Spider-Man's powers are mystical in nature. After he leaves the book, it's like nobody ever mentions it again. Yeah. It's like, he's a, not a, not a factor. He's like, not, he, he's like good for like a cool John Romita Jr. fight, but he's not like much more than that. And then Dan Slott is like, oh, what if he has a whole family? <laughs> and like they're all little Victorian Fauntleroys or whatever. 
And, you know, I, I don't think Moreland's a very interesting character. I don't think he, Dan Slott makes him one, but it's interesting that he's like, he's kind of using every part of the Buffalo or he's just like <laughs> picking, you know, Oh, here's the Spider-Man from this cartoon. Here's this one from this old comic. Here's this villain that nobody cares about that. I can, that I can do something with. I, I feel like, uh, I was glad that they picked Moreland as, as a villain. Uh, cause initially they didn't really, I mean, they explained what he was, but it was such like a, such a brief view as to what was going on that it was kind of, it kind of left you a little, little hungry for the rest of it. Sure. Which, so I was, I was happy they brought him back because I, I don't remember if um, the spider versus he'd already fought him twice or just once. I think he may have come back later in the Straczynski run, but like he came back I rem- I, when I don't remember it. <laughs> when, when Peter was uh, living in Avengers tower, Moreland broke in and that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Almost killed him or he did yeah. kill him. And then he came back because spiders can shed their skin. Oh, that's once in a yeah, lifetime. There's a, there's a whole period there where like Marvel is sort of kind of toying with tweaking the Spider-Man powers to fit with the movies. Right. Where like he mainly that he makes his own webbing. So like there's once yeah. or twice where, for various reasons, Spider-Man like goes into a cocoon <laughs> and comes out and he's like, Oh, I make my own webs now. And also I've got these other powers. Nobody gives a shit about. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was kind of weird. They made his, his spider sense a little more mystical than it already is, which is, yeah. I mean, it already, like does, everyone... it already doesn't make any goddamn sense, but now it's like he can focus and extend it out further. And yeah. And literally every other writer was like, what <laughs> yeah they're like that's too complicated we're not doing that he's uh he's a punchy guy that has a bad life we're doing that yeah <laughs> getting back into the 616 before the the event kicks off we're introduced to cindy moon who i forgot that she and peter had this weird connection that also like gets down to like a primal level yeah, yeah it's a weird you know dan slot can't hit them all out of the park you know? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Sydney Moon, who is Silk, uh, she was bit by the same spider that Peter Parker was bit as, uh, but she doesn't exist in the 616 universe, and or she's she's not known in the 616 universe until, and this is where Marvel comics get really murky because everything exists on like a 10-year timeline, is that right? Yeah, they're, they're sort of operating, you know, their modus operandi as to why like, you know, it, comics have been publishing since like 1965 or whatever, here's why it's not. Like, you know, Spider-Man has not been around in real time since 1965. So the idea is that, like, there's a sliding time scale where basically from whatever's being published right now, the entirety of the Marvel Universe happens in, like, the last, like, 10 to 15 years. And so, you know, you get things where, like, oh, this issue in the 1980s, Captain America saved Ronald Reagan or whatever, you know, (laughs) where now they're just like, oh, well, that's just, like, vaguely whoever was president that long ago (laughs) that he saved and talked or whatever. So... Cindy was bit by the same spider as Peter. Uh, she developed similar spider powers, but some of them better, some of them not so much. Um, she can shoot webbing straight from her fingers. Uh, she has a better spider sense than Peter. Um, like it is almost precognitive. I've, I forget other things that she has going for her. But again, the, the big thing that they really like to drive home, at least early on, is that her the pheromones that she and Peter have with each other because they were bit by the same spider just puts them into like, uncontrollable teenage horniness yeah that's like the biggest thing especially early on and silk is such an interesting thing she's also tied up with a bunch of marvel comics bullshit that is like from spider-man but also not from spider-man yeah that's her whole thing early on in the book where like he discovers this other character and it's like they have this weird connection and then sometime after this well she was initially tied into the moreland character yeah like her yeah her whole thing is so in those in those Straczynski comics, there's an, another character who has spider powers named Ezekiel, who's like sort of Peter's me- not quite mentor because he's like been Spider-Man for a long time. But he's like, he's the guy who's like, this guy's coming after you. Your powers are mystical, all that stuff. It's drawing him in. You have to hide. Yeah, yeah. What 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 Slot does with Cindy, with Cindy Moon, Silk, is like in this backstory, they were bitten by the same spider. Ezekiel did get to her and say, Hey, you need to hide. And she was in a bunker for this entire time until for various Marvel bullshit reasons, 
Spider-Man discovered that, okay, look, there's a guy who has an eyeball for a head <laughs> who he exploded, he exploded and every single in the storyline called original sin and every single character in the Marvel universe discovered some heretofore unknown secret, some original sin and Spider-Man's was that there was somebody else who got bitten by the spider. And then that's how he discovers Cindy moon. And that's how he discovers this pretty lady that he's horned up for. (laughs) (laughs) Which like, she's pretty already. So like, of course he's going to be horned up for her, but like they have to go the extra mile and be like, Oh, and by the way, there there's this weird pheromone thing. Then they're going to bang a lot. Yeah. Which I think, I think shortly after this story, they've, they've, they drop it somehow. I forget how he solves it, but I, like that is not a thing that happens anymore. I think everyone kind of realized like what Dan, what are you doing? What are you doing here, Dan? <laughs> like Dan, you flew too close to the sun. We got to pull you back. He, he just wanted to remind everyone that Peter is a lot like Archie on the CW and that he fucks. It's fine. <laughs> Rest in peace, Riverdale. <laughs> Rest in peace, CW. Really? I mean, yeah. Yeah. The strike is going to hurt them more than anything else. Um, so yeah, we, <laughs> so Cindy decides that she's going to tell Peter that he should just leave New York because they can't stop banging each other. So why can't, why should they remain in the same enormous city? They, they go on a little hunt together while having this conversation and they bump into a bunch of other spider people, including spider ham, Spider-Man 2099, Jessica drew spider woman who, Anya is one I'm not familiar with. Um, she I believe is, she's a spider girl. She's Marvel 616. Yes. She she wasn't originally a spider girl. She came from a, a whole different backstory where she was completely mystical. Yeah. Um, and she went by spider girl for a while. And I think at this time she's going by some other name. Yeah. yeah she's a, Ari- Ariana was, I think it's that's Spanish for spider. I'm sure I'm horribly mispronouncing that something along those lines. And I, yeah, I also apologize because I don't know the word, so I can't tell you if you, if you are or not, I but yeah, Spanish, basically like a, a so, minor, a yeah. minor spider person in, uh, she was in Marvel um, comics. Amazing. Was it amazing fantasies? Amazing. Yes. I think they revived amazing fantasy at some point in the two thousands. And we're like, we're going to try to get this new character over. And they were actually and like pretty good. I liked them. Yeah. I don't think it quite set the world on fire. But those are pretty good. And this is also notable for a time. This is also a time where Spider-Man 2099 is just like in the yeah. Marvel universe where he's just like, Oh, I'm stuck here. And he's like doing his own thing in the present. I hate Spider-Man 2099. <laughs> it's just nothing about him appeals to me. Yeah. So, so all these guys are in the six one six New York because they got to find Peter because Peter is the best Peter that has Petered in the multiverse and Spider-Man in the multiverse. And uh, he has to lead them against this upcoming war with the inheritors. And that is essentially the premise of the series and shenanigans ensue. Matt, I'll let you kind of take the lead from here because it, it does get into comic book madness from here. So, yeah, I didn't really prepare a breakdown of a reissue. I mean, long story short, they all kind of gather their forces and fight mostly. But like, I guess my what I am more interested in is like, what what do you guys think of the story? Is it good? Yeah, <laughs> I, I I enjoyed it. I thought it was. I thought it was really fun. I enjoyed. Um, I, I I feel like out of the out of the three of us, I'm more inclined to just kind of enjoy it for the fun aspects than than you two are. You seem a little bit harsher on judging him, but uh, especially Matt, who's a soulless monster. But uh, I really enjoyed the story. I I, I liked the different Spider Men that were coming in. They're all pretty interesting to me. Uh, once again, I can't state enough how much I hate Spider Man 2099. But I was happy to see Superior Spider-Man in there. And then he was facing off against Peter Parker, who has regained control of his body. Yeah, that's a really fun aspect of this because it's like, if, you, if, if you're not in, you know, another another big thing that was happening with Spider-Man just a couple years previously, where like, there's this whole run of comics called Superior Spider-Man, where basically like Dr. Octopus is dying and he body swaps with Spider-Man like the last minutes, like Peter Parker in Doc Ock's body dies. And so then 
Doc Ock has like taken over his life and he's like, I'm going to be the best Spider-Man, but he's like still, he's like, he's like applying supervillain logic and tactics to being a, a superhero. And, you know, long story short, shortly before this series, this story happens is like Spider, like Peter Parker has come back through various machinations so it's like very interesting, like, oh, we're finding a way to bring him back in this very popular run, this very interesting run. We found a way to like bring this character in. And it's the same version of the character who was in that comic. So there's like some stakes there where like Doc Ock is like eventually figures out, oh, my life, what I'm what I'm trying to do fails. And so at some point I will be subsumed again and like fighting against that. Uh, and what, what was great in the comics was that Peter actually kept that information to himself until Dr. Octopus figured it out or Superior yeah. Spider-Man figured it out a while later. So, so Doc Spider, we're calling that, thought that the Peter Parker that was the main, the main Spider-Man they had to protect was from the past. Yeah, a version that bef- from before, because he's like, oh, I, yeah, I won. There's no way he's ever coming back. I yeah. killed him. <laughs> But yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought I liked the whole aspect of there being basically multiple Morelands. I w- liked watching the different types of Spider-Man. I really liked the Japanese robot one, Le- Leopold. Yeah. Leopold. Yeah, that's Leopardon or something like that. That's the Spider-Man from the, the, well, the Leopardon is his uh, is his mech. Oh yeah. yeah, I liked I liked him a lot. I also liked. I mean, Spider Gwen was good. Uh, I think Spider Ham might be my favorite, just because he's so ridiculous. But I thought I really enjoyed all of them. The last bit of the story features Spider Ham fighting. Canonically, he's nude. <laughs> yep. And also, I I do not like the fact that he has humanoid hands and then still has hooves. I he's got hair I, too. He's got a yeah. I hair. don't. Yeah. I, he, he is not pleasant to look at. It's like the Mario <laughs> brothers movie when the Mario brothers don't have their white gloves on. It's just like, it's not pleasant. I don't it, like it. You can't yeah, just it was, say someone is not pleasant to look at. You can't just do that. Well, I think <laughs> I have to agree with him. He looked like something out of, uh, kind of like that movie, the fly, you know, when he starts transforming into the, fl- the actual fly. That's what <laughs> yeah. he, he looked like if he was in an accident with a human being. It was just well, he's a spider that was bit by a radioactive pig. So, I mean, you got to cut him some credit. Yeah, that was and that was another thing I liked about it was just the not only was he ridiculous, but his backstory was ridiculous, too. So but uh, that's what I think about. It. How about you, Josh? What do you think of it? I, I, I think it's really fun. I do think once they get into the prophecy stuff, like I think issue three of the event ends with Moreland getting the quote unquote scion. And it's like, what the fuck is this nonsense? But like, I, I really enjoyed the dynamic between current Peter and spider Ock. Um, I think the art is I'm, I'm flipping through the, the pages here. Um, the art is just fantastic when spider Ock is getting like super maniacal and he's like, you're, you're never going to make me bow to you because you think you're the leader. I'm the superior Spider-Man, blah, blah, blah. And then Peter just throws one quick punch in his face. And it's like, there, there's a thought bubble that says, Peter's like, I don't care if it leaves a permanent mark on my face. He deserves this shit. <laughs> Like they, they nail the characterizations of this and they make a lot of the characters, uh, the, the newer and unique characters uh, stand out like Spider-Punk. I think they they did a much better job. They've had 10 years to make Spider-Punk look a little more interesting in uh, across the Spider-Verse. Mm-hmm. But for that first appearance and uh, some of the other stuff, other other characters that we see, like the, it's just such a cool concept and the idea behind um, all of these other spider people the only thing that really which we'll we'll probably talk a little bit about once we get into spinoffs the only thing that really kind of bothered me with any of this is it still kind of has a little bit of that 2000s uh late 2010s sexuality or sexualization of women going on like it's not quite as respectful as comics can be for the most part now um it's like okay. especially early on with the cindy moon stuff where like, yeah, we're, we're trying to set a scene where they're they're thinking about having sexy time, but it, it's not necessary. It's not relevant to anything. Yeah. But overall, I think the story is really fun. I don't think that the Cindy Moon stuff in general is is like great. Like that's a that's a weird thing that Dan Slott did at that time. 
I don't necessarily think it's out of place in this story specifically, just if only because it is like, that's the thing that's happening with those characters at the time. So it's like if they're in a room together, they have to address it. Although like in a larger sense, Dan, why did you do that in the first place? <laughs> so yeah. it's like, I, I agree, but also I don't, you know, where it's like, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of like, why, why did you take, make this move to begin with? But also like you, you did it. So like when the characters are, you know, we're still in the midst of it when the story starts. So it makes sense that you're deploying it, but it's also like, again, why'd you do it, man? <laughs> it was, it was a weird, it was a weird turn he took. Yeah. I did like the offshoots of this main story too. I enjoyed those as well. Yeah. Did you guys read? I, I, I will, you know, I, I read everything. I've read everything before because I followed this comic at the time when it was coming out and i bought if not every tie-in i was like either reading the books or like bought most of the i've read i've I've read everything at this point yeah but for this reread i only read nine to fifteen and skimmed seven and eight um it's like did you guys actually dive into any of the tie-ins for this one i actually reread this whole storyline every couple of years Wow! All right. I I'm, the, spy, the Spider Verse lover is logged on. Yeah, I well, I do that for a lot of the the main stories that I like, and some of the ones I don't like. I'm like, maybe I was maybe I was too harsh with this one. I'll reread sure. it. Sure. And then I'm like, nope, I was right the first time. It was shit. <laughs> no, this one I uh, I've reread recently. I think it was sometime this year. Uh, I think my favorite is I don't remember what they called it, but it was with Ben Riley from another universe. It was with Kane. It was with the Jessica Drew of Miles Morales. The ultimate, What's that? Yeah, ultimate, but yeah. The ultimate, right? It was basically all the clones were in a group together working. Yeah, I think that was a miniseries called Scarlet Spiders. That's what it was. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoyed that. Was my I think that was my personal favorite of the offshoots. The other ones were okay, but they focused more on the whole prophecy thing. Yeah. And I, I guess it works as like a a driving force behind the whole thing. Yeah, and like, you know, like I mentioned before, you know, I only kind of skimmed these issues a little bit for this. I didn't actually read them, but, you know, Spider-Man 2099 is a book at that point, and he, so he ties in, and if I'm remembering right, like, his stuff is all about them trying to figure out what's up with the Inheritors, which I mentioned before, I think is like the weakest part of this entire story. So like, and I think, I also think, you know, I, I enjoy the original Spider-Man 2099 run for what it is, and I, I don't think that Spider-Man, that... Re- revival in the 2010s is very good <laughs> so no. i think i think it, i think those two things are kind of against it so i think a lot of the actual um stuff that is dealing with the story outside of the amazing spider-man book is not great there's like there's a couple other things where like i i think the there's a, a two-issue miniseries just, just called spider-verse and then there's another one called spider-verse team up and those are both of those short little miniseries are like little short stories, like one or two or three, like two or three each issue where it's like two Spider-Men teaming up or it's just a story about, you know, we're doing 10 pages about the cowboy Spider-Man or whatever else, you know, that's kind of fun in that way. And, uh, oh, she came from the not she came from um, like a gothic universe. She's like a Dr. Octopus more than a Spider-Man. Yes, I think her name is technically the Lady Spider, but she's like kind of a steampunky Spider-Man. Right? Yes, yes. I yeah. I liked her, but I also was like, this is just Dr. Octopus. This is Dr. Octopus with breasts. <laughs> uh, didn't didn't do it for me so much. Well, and she, uh, and she also spends, if I'm remembering right, she spends most of her time in the pages of Spider-Man 2099. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because I think a large portion of their spinoff is uh, rebuilding and fixing Leopardon, and uh, when uh, he's the, they're the cavalry. Yeah, at the very end, they're like, oh, and there's one more guy. It's Leopardon. She kind of, she's like riding on his shoulders, like, oh, and don't forget, there's steam power. And I'm just like, (laughs) God, steampunk sucks. Yeah, it. I mean, I I liked. I I mean, I guess I didn't really even like her as a character. I just I thought the whole thing was just not for me i she didn't seem like a spider-man was my whole just my my only and total complaint with her what is she doing in the spider-verse she has dr octopus arms 
and she's well, Steve so Punk. Superior Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, but he's got spider powers too. She didn't have spider powers. She just had the Doctor Octopus arms. That's fair. It's fair. But that's the great thing is you just you just take the idea as there you know there's there's every Spider Man you know there's a Spider Man that works at Bas- Baskin Robbins you know yeah. <laughs> Quick question for you guys before I really get into my spinoff discussion. I remember having this thought when I initially read this back in 2014 2015. Who the hell is Kane? Oh oh man okay that's a whole other pile of Marvel Comics bullshit. Okay so <laughs> you know how in the 90s there was the clone saga where there was a clone of Spider-Man or Peter Parker who went by the name Ben Riley. Yep. I remember. Yeah. Ben Riley's like the big spider clone. Yeah. Yeah. Kane. Kane is the bad one. Kane is the bad. Kane's the, the, oh, so he's clone. like the Treehouse of horror Simpsons episode where there's the evil twin and Bart is Kane and the other yeah, one he's is like Ben a, Riley then. Yeah. He's like a, the big badass villain. I think of him more as as like a Deadpool esque character in the in the sense that he's just a he was a rejected clone that that the Jackal thought he had destroyed. Yeah, but he I, th- I think I think early on he has much more of an antagonistic role. Yeah, but by this point in the comics, he has come he's kind of come back, and at that point is actually I don't know if the if the story is still run, if his book is still running, but he's the Scarlet Spider and had a book for a while called Scarlet Spider. But, um, you know, in the 90s, he was like the cool new badass villain. Wasn't Ben Riley the Scarlet Spider? Yeah, yes. but Ben Riley's dead, see? Okay. Or was. See, I, I, yeah. that, I think that's the context I was missing, because I'm like, who? why is Kane the Scarlet Spider? Isn't that Ben Riley? Uh, yeah, at the end of the Cologne saga, Ben Riley, who is Spider-Man, dies. And then I, I don't I don't know exactly how Kane comes back, but for a while in the 2010s, he is back and he is like often. It was something to do with Craven the Hunter coming oh, back to life. Okay. OK, I don't remember the exact details, but like he somehow redeemed himself and decided that he wasn't going to be a dick anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, Peter refers to him as a brother, so. Yeah. Early on in the like in the 90s, when he first shows up, he like murders Dr. Octopus, ironically enough. Yeah. And it's like one of those things where like sometimes comics will do that where they have a cool badass villain they're trying to get over. And what they do is they to sort of shortcut to, oh, this guy's really cool is they will like totally demolish a character you, you know, and like, and know their capabilities of. So like the first thing he does is murder Dr. Octopus. And then, Oh yeah. It's beat up wharf. Yeah. He's a, uh, he's a mercenary for a while. I don't. I wish I remembered the exact details of what made him decide to become good, but it was something with Craven the Hunter, I believe, or it was Spider Island, one of the two. Yeah, he's just he's just one of those ancillary spider people that's just floating around. Yeah, in and he's he's got some kind of like acidic touch because he was a failed experiment. There's some bullshit. I don't know. It was just part of the clones. He's he's the he's the cast off of the clone saga. Yeah. Okay. Just curious because I much as I've read of Spider-Man, I've never dived into the clone saga just because of all the bullshit behind it. Um, I have read the ultimate clone saga and like, that's good enough for me. Yeah. Very um, different, but also, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. M- um, much so less I, confusing. Yeah. Uh, I did read the Spider-Woman spinoff uh, that started with Spider-Woman issue one and it runs through issue three technically. And then issue four is like a, an epilogue. It basically just covers the, Jessica Drew doing some infiltration of the inheritors because her the inheritors live on Earth 001 uh, and the Jessica Drew of Earth 001 is just uh, she's uh, a concubine for Morlin and so she has to kind of like work her way around it. She also runs into uh, a version of Namor who is a pirate. It's fine. It, it doesn't necessarily add anything to the story, but I do think that Dennis Hopeless's writing is really good. Like one of the things he does really well is dialogue, which I mean, it's it's a storytelling medium. It's a written medium. So you would hope he writes well, um, but he he does dialogue and characterization really well. Um, he's consistent with it. My favorite part of any of this uh, between issues one through four of Spider-Woman is uh, the aftermath, her doppelganger, uh, clone, whatever, not clone, uh, her other self from Earth 001 ends up becoming the new ruler of 
Earth 001 because she realizes that she'll get more adulation from people. She's like she's very self-centered. And so Jess, Jess kind of has this idea that even a funhouse mirror is still some kind of reflection of you. And because this Jessica Drew is so self-centered and self-serving, she's like, there's a part of me that needs that too, or a part of me that um, is down deep down inside of me, uh, which I don't know necessarily buy into, but I, I buy into the the writing of it and the, the struggle that Jess is having with it. Uh, but then like the very next page is Jess talking with Carol Danvers, Captain Marvel. And they're just the, the relationship they have Dennis hopeless just crushes it. Like it's, it's a beautiful like five or six page arc of Jess and Carol just busting each other's chops, having fun, being girlfriends and just having conversations that sound like conversations normal people would have even in a superhero comic. So like, I, I I really enjoyed that part of the comic, but the the actual like storytelling of it and how it ties into Spider Verse largely feels inconsequential because you get the main beats of it in the main storyline. You don't necessarily need the how. That's a really interesting little book because like you know Dennis Hopeless would go on to write Spider Woman that that book more or less it gets interrupted by Secret Wars like everything does for like a couple of years after that. And like fr- basically from issue five on, it's like incredible. Right. And you and I have talked about this, not on a microphone, um, but you know, it's a really great run for the character and still one of the best with Jessica Drew, I think, but it's got this weird little like appendage at the beginning of it because it launches out of this event. And so it has, it's a focus on this event for the first few issues. And it's also got like, much worse art than it would have (laughs) it's just like such a weird little (laughs) footnote on what's a a longer better run and you know nothing against hopeless for those first few issues but it is just such such a weird thing where like totally gear shifts into like being a real superhero book in issue five it's using it as a setup to get Jess to where they need her to be for what dennis wants to do with the character because they they want to bring her down to like a street level character instead of being like the second or third in command of the Avengers. And so he, he uses the event as a way for her to step aside and just kind of focus on who is Jessica drew as a superhero and not just like an Avenger, if that makes any sense, which was like kind of what I feel like a lot of smaller characters were getting that at the time, like a couple of years ago, that's, that's Hawkeye, right? That's the Matt fraction Hawkeye where, we're showing him in a context you don't normally see him in. And it's like a lot of this is probably because of Hawkeye, right? Where that's like yeah. one of the biggest books Marvel puts out. In I was just going to say, it's probably a ripple effect from that. Yeah. Where it's, yeah, it's a book that's all about what does this guy get up to when he's not on the Avengers. And it's, you know, one of the best books Marvel's ever put out. And you should read it if you haven't. There's a TV show loosely based off, based off of it. You know, so I think that's the thing where like Marvel was like maybe more open to characters that maybe were not, in movies or like their top hitters, their best sellers being in this sort of like reimagined context. So I guess, yeah. Yeah. And it's a great run. And um, if you haven't read it, it's really, really solid. Yeah. I, I can't disagree. And like I said, the Dennis hopeless understands the character well enough to make a really good run that I think is really underappreciated, if not underrated. Um, it just kind of gets absorbed by secret wars and never really gets a chance to get its feet on the ground because it's it starts on the back of an event. It gets interrupted by an event and then a bunch of fanboys and <laughs> just a bunch of alt right nonsense speaking asshats were like, oh, superheroes can't get pregnant. Why do I want to read a superhero story about a pregnant woman? Like, you don't have to. It's not necessarily for you, which is such a weird complaint to make. I feel like they're still mad about it in 2023 because seriously they, well, cause there's a pregnant Spider-Man Spider-Woman in that movie. <laughs> oh yeah. I, I just don't understand like what the it's, it's such a weird like hill to die on, you know, uh, I it's, some, they, they love those weird Hills. That's true. That's true. I just, I don't understand. That's what I don't understand. Like that's some, so, it's such a normal thing to happen. It's like, well, these people, out of all the superheroes, the hundreds of superheroes Marvel produces, we can't have one of them that's that, you know, 
got pregnant. And yet they'll wedlock. probably, <laughs> yeah, right. And yet they'll probably defend the like 1970s story where Carol Danvers gives birth to her rapist. You know, like well, yeah, which is you want to talk about weird? Uh, that one pretty much tops the list. Yeah, we don't. I don't want to go into that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, neither does Marvel. Marvel wants us everyone yeah, to forget Marvel, about that. But Marvel's like, trying to trying to lock that in the vault <laughs> and keep it there. Yeah, I guess. Is there anything about this? You know, we. I think we had all read it. And John, you mentioned you've read it a bunch of times. But you know, this is my first time revisiting it since it first came out. I think. Was there anything about it, like revisiting it, that was like surprised you, or like that you'd forgotten that was notable to you, or anything like that? Uh, I forgot that in the uh, in the the Scarlet Spider saga, the offshoot, that I'd forgotten that the Ben Riley and Kane had actually connected before Ben Riley's death, uh, disrupting the the clones. Dang, rest in peace. Yeah, R.I.P. for the 88th time. Morning until I join you. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't have been too shocked. Ben Riley dies in every major comic he's a part of, so it seems like. Hey man, sometimes he's a supervillain. Yeah, that's well, that's because of his multiple deaths. He remembers them all. He's essentially <laughs> turned it into Spider-Man Jean Grey. Was Ben was Ben the villain of this most recent run? That uh, is it, Landis. You're talking about the Zeb Wells run. Zeb that's Wells going. Yeah, he wasn't Ben Riley the the bad guy in the the Hellmouth or whatever. Yeah, he is the villain of the story Dark Web, which the Dark Web story is what if what if Spider-Man did Inferno? Which, if you don't know what that means, that is the time in the 80s when the X-Men had to fight demons from Limbo who all kind of possessed a bunch of everyday objects, which, which results in issues like Daredevil fighting a vacuum cleaner. So... Uh, Maddie Pryor and Ben Riley, who are, who are like two characters who are clones who've been fucked over, are like, what if we fucked everyone else over? <laughs> yeah, so Ben Riley is Chasm. You know, long story short, Peter Parker gets stuck in limbo along with J. Jonah Jameson with a bunch of demons who are like doing a, uh, a weird and incorrect facsimile of life on Earth, which leads to the great panel where J. Jonah Jameson said, is forced to say, get me tasty pictures of Spider-Man. <laughs> so yeah, it's great. Uh, people hate this book. I don't know why it's great. I thought it was fun. I, it was crazy and out there, but it was fun. I didn't, uh, didn't get, didn't fall for it too much. I didn't. Oh boy. There's, We're going to have to do that next. There's a lot going on. I think I have to, I have to sit down. Another issue I have is that I need to read like a, a story all at once. Because sure. otherwise, I like start an next issue. And I'm like, I don't remember this happening. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So there's a lot of comics and they go by so quick that, you know, if they're a month apart, you're like, what's happening? Like, what the hell happened here? Did I, did I read this? Yeah. Yeah. And then sometimes, you know, because I follow a lot of stuff in Marvel Unlimited. Um, so sometimes I will find that, no, I didn't. <laughs> Actually, I missed an issue. Uh, and it's like, whoops. Marvel Unlimited, not a sponsor, but could be. Ooh. Yeah. Josh, what? Is something that you picked up this on this read through? Uh, so, like I said, I haven't. Ba- I basically haven't read this book in ten years. I I completely forgot about how big of a role Cindy Moon had in this. Um, sure, I forgot about their their sexy time problem that they had. I, I really didn't remember a lot of it, other than some some of the main strokes with the inheritors. But uh, I mean, there's an entire issue dedicated to Peter beating up Spider Rock. And uh, I had forgotten about that, too. But like, that's probably, in my opinion, the strongest issue of the entire series. Yeah, it just beats the shit out of them. Is, is the conflict between Spider-Rock and Peter. Technically a six issue story, plus like an ep- plus an epilogue issue. So it's, like, it's interesting, like the way that it moves is a little interesting because it's I think I think Dan Slott knows that like the inheritor stuff is like not what people are here for, not what's interesting about it. So we spend a lot of time just like getting the team together and like dealing with the, the interpersonal stuff, which is good and fun. Yeah. I, I think the only other thing that um, I really want to call credit to is I really liked how Dan slot allowed doc Ock to recognize when Peter, he realized that Peter was Peter of the future, not Peter of the past. Uh, when he recognized that his little digital assistant that he made in earth 2099 uh, is 
of Anna Maria. And Peter's like, you made it your digital assistant, Anna Maria. And Doc Ock like almost immediately pieces together that that Peter didn't know Anna Maria yet. Yeah. Yeah. He meets. Yeah. Doc Ock meets her first as Spider-Man. That's that's a really good note. And then just kind of files it away until the end of the story. Yeah. And I, I like those little touches and it shows that Dan Slott had a plan with all of this because in the pages of Spider-Man, a superior Spider-Man, he get, he gets sucked away and comes back and he says some random dialogue of like, you'll never get away with this. I won't forget. And he's like, what? I forgot what's happening. And so it's like really weird for a year and a half until Peter Parker comes back and then Spider-Verse happens. And then we get that gap filled in. That's the gap where they're they are. They pulled him from that so they can fit him in the Spider-Verse, which is really fun. Yeah. And Dan Slott, you know, at his best. That's something he is really good at, you know, and I don't know if it's a thing where he like has all this stuff mapped out or if he is just like winging it. Yeah. Like needing crumbs for himself to pick up later. Right. Cause I think the superior Spider-Man stuff starts in um, amazing Spider-Man 700 where like Doc Ock is sick and he finally gets one over on, on Peter and like wins and Peter dies. They like, if you are reading Spider-Man, that stuff starts getting seeded in like amazing Spider-Man 600, which is like several years before that. So, you know, who knows if Dan Slott is like aware he's going to be on the book for in, in hundred issues or not, or if he's just like, Oh, this is a thing I can pick up later. Either way. One of the things he's very good at is like throwing out things like that and then pulling them back in ways that you wouldn't expect. You know, I think at least when I was reading that thing with superior Spider-Man, you know, I, I had read that issue and was like, oh, what's that, what's that about? But then a year and a half passed, right? And I totally forgotten about it. And then when he drops that little nugget in where he's kind of closing the loop, you're like, oh, that, okay. Yeah, that's cool. That's that that's neat. Yeah, that, that's pretty much it for me. So any other final thoughts or comments, concerns? Something something um, that I thought was interesting about this that I didn't remember, you know, because I think we talked a lot about what, like, with this and with Flashpoint before it, what we should be reading, because these are both not not dissimilar stories in that they are, they have a core series or run with a bunch of, like, satellite stuff around it. So you go to, like, read, like, what's the list of Flashpoint? What's the ris- list of, you know, Spider-Verse? And you get, a, like, a... 20 30 40 50 issues of comics so you know when we decided to do that i was pretty confident that okay this is like the we don't need anything else from this and i think i was mostly right although there were things where like there were a few moments where they're very clearly trying to do the thing where they're like oh spider woman's running off to do this thing go check her out in spider woman number one or like the scarlet spiders are going off to do this thing check out their miniseries which is a thing that I was really critical of Flashpoint for. I think rightfully so. Here, I think I think I think that Spider Verse is better in that I think that the, the core story hangs together better than Flashpoint does. And I don't. Want, I'm not trying to relegate Flashpoint. I was just I, I had forgotten how much they do make sure to tie in everything. Those hooks. Yeah, the, that, how they do make sure to lay those hooks down, just like Flashpoint did. But I think that. You know, this, the core story, the core books of the Spider, the Spider-Verse story are are successful more on their own terms than I thought Flashpoint was. Even though there's like, you know, there's things like, I still think, I think all the Inheritor stuff sucks. Like, <laughs> Moreland had like one kind of halfway decent story and like every single time he's appeared since then, it's like diminishing returns. Yeah, I kind of um, feel the same way. Uh yeah. But, you know, like I said, that's not why we're, that's not the, that, that's just, they need guys to punch. That's the only Yeah, we need, we need to see all the different spider people. Yeah. So that, that's something that stood out to me is that, oh, there's, there, there is more of a kind of comic event-itis going on here than I remembered, but it's not as bad as, like, I really got frustrated at with the last book we talked about. Yeah, I, I will, I think I will easily agree that Spider-Verse 1 was a lot better than Flashpoint. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna fight you on that one. Well, because you were mad about the last one. I, I I wasn't happy. That's why you're here today. I wasn't. That's why you're here today. You know what? I I had a Mountain Dew before this, just so <laughs> just so I had the energy to fight you. I'm, I was I was anticipating you hating on this, and I was I was ready to battle to the death for it. That's not me. I disagree entirely. <laughs> well, we just got my clock shows. 70 minutes of me proving you wrong. Yeah, yeah, you were right. 
yeah, I mean, I I, I loved Flash. I I, I loved uh, Spider Verse. I liked Flashpoint. It's and it's a shame because, like I mentioned, they do two more follow ups to this. Neither one, like they, it's like Dimension Return. It's like a straight line. If you're mapping the quality, like Spider Geddon is like okay. It's just like them doing the thing again, but it's more focused on Miles this time because of the movie, most likely. And then just this, I read that end of Spider Verse thing they just did, and I was like, this is this is fucking awful. <laughs> it's terrible. So you know, it's, it's it's they keep trying to recapture lightning in a bottle, and I'm sure in 2026 they're gonna try again. <laughs> and I don't think they're gonna, I don't think they're gonna make it work. Probably not. But also, also pay to see it. All right. Well, with that, let's start wrapping up. Uh, Matt, I will let you pitch the Discord as is tradition. Yeah, we have a Discord. Uh, Talking Smack. Is it? Do we have? Do they have to be invited, or is it a public server? I don't remember. That is a great question. I don't know Discord well enough. I haven't had time to really look into it, but um, I know there's an invite in the episode description that should be a forever link. Perfect. Yeah. If you're interested, jump on that. It's uh, my my elevator pitch, which maybe doesn't work that well because we don't get a ton of new people. But, you know, if you like what we do here, especially when I go on really long, sometimes aimless rants, if you want to see that in text form, (laughs) that's the Discord, you know. I'm not very good at my day job, so I'm basically always on it. And so if you have something to say, come in and you say, this thing sucks, I'll probably see it. And if I have an opinion on it, I'll probably weigh in. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Mostly in the Star Trek uh, section of the, the Discord server. Star Trek, you know, I, I got to carry the banner. <laughs> All right, John, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, it has been a pleasure. If you want to come back for another comic book centric episode, you are more than welcome. Uh, I would um, love that anytime. Seriously. The, the relitigation of Flashpoint. <laughs> I, I don't want to do that again. I'm st- <laughs> that could be, that could be a bonus episode. I'm still mad. I don't want to go back. <laughs> Don't forget to join us on all the social medias at Talking Smack Pod on Instagram threads, Hive Social Post News, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, and of course Lonnie's website. Uh, email us your comic book suggestions at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for the musical themes you're hearing right now, as well as Retro Ale Studios for Ricky Avatar and Beppo for our original avatars. Please like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast on your podcatcher of choice. And most importantly, thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Have a great week. We will see you next week when I am subjected to an anime. Well, the joke's on you. I'm not even a real blonde. Watch Star Trek.